Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends, taste, brands, and products. episode five of the department. This week's episode is all about nostalgia. And before we get deep into our nostalgia themed trends, I just want to reminisce with you a little bit and go <laughs> through a few of these trends. I'm kind of surprising you okay. from, pa- from our pasts okay. that we would either A, like to never see again, or B, <laughs> you would love to see return. And I'm talking 80s. I'm talking 90s. I'm talking early aughts. Trends that we lived through. Oh, man. Okay. 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 I'm ready. Tell me me some trends. This might be a twofer. Okay. Because they kind of go hand in hand. Okay. And one, I would not mind seeing come back. And one, I definitely never want to see again. Okay. The it kind of all centers around like that Paris Hilton era. Oh God, I knew, I knew this is where it was going to go. Okay, okay, so we're talking early aughts here. Okay. <laughs> I'm talking early aughts and I'm talking tiny dogs as accessories match with super low rise jeans. Oh, which also, <laughs> there's a part three to that, which is the whale tail. AKA the thong pulled up really Mm -hmm. high. Okay. I, Mm -hmm. I guess I'm okay with little dogs as fashion accessories. I would love more little dogs as long as they're being taken care of. Right. And they're having a good life and having their maximum Mm -hmm. dogness. But I, low rise jeans better never come back. I mean, I wore them. There was, if you wanted to wear some pants, this is what you had. And I would, my my underwear were constantly hanging out. My Mm -hmm. butt crack was hanging out. Strangers on the street would tell me that my butt crack was hanging out as if there was anything I could do about it. Even if you were super skinny, you had a muffin top. Yeah. It was just impossible. It was terrible. And then I will tell you, I saw a photo montage on Instagram yesterday. <laughs> this is like timely that we're talking about it now. With you? Not my photo montage, but I saw it on Instagram and it was all okay. photos of whale tails <laughs> and like bedazzled <laughs> thongs pulled up above the pants. And yeah. the point of the post was to like, which is current and which was past. And it was really challenging. So guess what I'm saying is it's, it's happening, baby. It's coming back. Yeah, bedazzled thongs pulled up high out of your pants are there. I'm not saying it's it's like everywhere. I think people will fight against the low rise. <laughs> At least there'll be options. Like you can't if you really, really want to go there. <laughs> like you know, like there'll be options on these. I hope so. You know, like you can go to your like seven jeans website and get your super low rise jeans. But I think I think that the the, the high rise is just so much more flattering. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm hoping. I mean, jeans are not trendy at all right now because they're exceptionally uncomfortable. Yes, true, true. Well, that that makes me feel a little bit better. And after quarantine, which is what going to be like two years, 
you know, most oh, people will, will have gained a little bit of weight. So I feel like people are going to kind of avoid the low rise. Okay. Okay. Well, I hope hoping. you're right. I hope you're right. I live in fear of it coming back because, because it's been so you're long, it. mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, what's but, next? Wait, wait, but wait, but the tiny dogs as accessories, do you think that this could potentially expand to other tiny animals? Oh my God. Well, I mean, I, okay. I have multiple feelings here. One, more and more people are adopting pets right now because they're yeah. lonely. And I mean, pets are great. So I get it. Yeah. I have seen a rise in Instagram accounts for non-traditional pets for sure. So mm-hmm. like people have hedgehogs and people have raccoons and people have possums. You have to be able to walk around with it like it's a purse. You know, you could definitely bring a hedgehog around <laughs> depending on the size of the opossum, certainly. Yeah. I'm predicting it now. I think guinea pigs are on the rise. <laughs> in a major way actually yeah i i have been seeing some cute guinea pig videos they can be a little squirrely though like not hyper contained maybe they'll be an accessory <laughs> to carry your yeah, small animal. yeah maybe maybe <laughs> opposite you know there was that really big trend or during the game of thrones time period where everyone was adopting huskies and and it got so out of control because you know huskies are really they're, they're made for, you know, like outdoor living and like being able to run. So people were mm-hmm. adopting all these huskies because they saw the dire wolf or something. And it looked kind of like a husky. So everyone was just adopting these huskies. But they didn't realize that they were so high maintenance and they needed a lot more care. So they were starting to just, they were just giving them back and putting them into animal shelters. So there was uh-huh. just this massive influx of huskies into animal shelters. Anyway, that's really t- totally opposite of what I'm talking about, but that's a trend gone wrong. Yeah, as they often do. I do have another one that I think would be kind of a hilarious trend to see come back post-pandemic, you know, when everyone's really excited to be out. <laughs> it would be, remember when the swing <laughs> movement was like everything? <laughs> oh my God. Okay. <laughs> We were all into it. In one way or another. Uh, even if you yeah. didn't dance. Yeah. Even if you didn't dance, you were into it. You were like, wow, this is so cool. Uh-huh. I agree. I would say there's a 50% chance that that's going to come back. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, even if it's just like, like, like rap pack, you know, like really into uh, that crooner music in like a really retro way. I could, I can see that because I feel like we've been doing this 60s, 70s psychedelic going through the desert on a horse with no name mm-hmm. era for so long that this is the reaction to that you know everybody starts cutting their hair i mean it is kind of sexy it is kind of yeah it's like i have to like divorce myself from my feelings about it as i felt about it for the past few years because you know there were people who clung on to it for too Uh long and they were they were gross Uh, those people were gross right the men specifically yeah. Well, I mean, you were at you were at mod cloth, so that kind of had a lot of like those dresses. I'm sure those and and the shoes, those shoes. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they would sell like crazy though, and you know the women would look beautiful in them, but it's the men that were always so gross because then they were like wearing oh, fedoras and smoking cigars. They were adopting mm-hmm, all the worst mm-hmm. elements of that trend. Who knows what's going to happen, but there are a lot of economists who believe that we're going to experience another mm-hmm. roaring 20s kind oh, of scenario when this is over. Very interesting. And I'd like to hear that. I know. And not mm-hmm. necessarily aesthetically, but that idea of like wild. being hyper social and yeah. wild. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. What about the Looney Tunes tease? <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh, my God. <laughs> Everywhere. I mean, everywhere. Yes, oversized yeah. Looney Tunes. Everywhere, tees. everywhere. I never 
liked it and I never will like oh, it. Oh no. I mean, I, I just can't. And it's definitely, I mean, those, those t-shirts sell for some major money. We've seen mm-hmm. whole boutiques in Tokyo that are just selling that stuff. Oh, I can imagine. So I feel like it starts there and then it comes here. Yeah. We're always kind of behind the trend when it comes to that sort of stuff. I will tell you that on an episode of Clothes Horse that we recently recorded, I found out that Space Jam alone, uh-huh. the merchandise for Space Jam was four to six billion dollars worth of sales. Holy shit. And I want to say the movie made like two, three hundred million dollars. Still a ton of money. Yeah. But like there is so much of that, that product still <laughs> circulating the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think I want that to come back. I feel, I mean, I grew up watching the Looney Tunes and, you know, they were part of being a child when we were kids, you know, because they were like reruns or whatever. They were on like non-cable television. They were like the poor man's Disney, in Absolutely. my opinion. So I always thought anything that was like Looney Tunes was kind of like, blah. but if it was like Disney or even like the Simpsons or like anything that was on cable, essentially. Yeah was cooler well yeah i mean this stuff was like reruns and so that's why it was always shocking to me that all of a sudden women were identifying with tweety bird and getting tattoos and and shirts and whatnot and men men said Mm -hmm. no i'm a tasmanian devil yeah and And i'm gonna wear it so big yeah yeah it's so weird (laughs) to me but that's definitely on its way back it's already is i also think that a lot of times the trends that we adopt uh, in terms of fashion are really based on what's available secondhand at that time. And when you like thrift shop as much as I do, I'm very painfully aware that there is so much of that in thrift stores right now mm-hmm. that kids are going to buy it because they think it's cool mm-hmm. and old. And mm-hmm. then it's going to suddenly be like at Urban Outfitters. You're totally right. Do you have any? No. Oh, God, no. You know, I'm a very aesthetic person, and I never felt that Looney Tunes had a very strong aesthetic. No sleepy tea. No, nothing that you were no. at, you were gifted by, like, a grandparent. I actually don't remember ever having anything like that, which is surprising to me. But, you know, I was more into, like, the Smurfs. Mm. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't allowed to watch Disney movies when I was a child, so I never what? saw any of that. Wait, I know. My mom- what? My mom thought they would fill my head with bad ideas. She's probably right. I mean, yeah, she's probably right. You know, the Prince Charming ideas not going over well for for all of us. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't even have any Disney stuff when I was a kid at all. Hmm. When people talk about Disney movies, sometimes I don't know what they're talking about, but I just nod my head as if I do. Wow, Amanda. <laughs> I just wow. Like, don't want to go into it. Like, I yeah. only recently found out that Bambi's mother dies in <gasps> fire. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. That's pretty cruel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what I was thinking about from the 90s, like specifically, that I wonder if it was going to come back was like the preppy trend of the 90s where you were wearing like boat shoes and tight rolling mm. your pants and then wearing like a slightly oversized Yeah graphic sweatshirt with a turtleneck underneath <laughs> or a mock neck does it does it have to have a turtleneck doesn't have to but i saw a lot of that in my school but it was colder there it's kind of like a princess dye like you're talking about like a sexier one <laughs> yeah. like yeah not not like yeah not like 
um, Pennsylvania 1990s. You're talking about like something a little bit more sporty. Well, there is this brand that's kind of doing it right now. It's called like uh, Sporty and Rich. Have you ever heard of them? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like if anyone's going to bring it back, they are because they already have like the sweatshirt. It's just just bringing that (laughs) that dicky. Yeah, and then you got to get the Sebagos uh-huh. and straight lace them with no socks. Mm-hmm. I do think if that comes back fully, then Looney Tunes is like around the corner. <laughs> like they Tunes. are, they are hot affili- on the heels. Yeah, they're affiliated, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> See, also wearing one suspender, but not the other. We're going to talk about this later, but sometimes when I'm having mm-hmm. a tough time, I'll watch old reruns of Nine Hundred Two and O, and. One thing that always drives me crazy that makes me have to fast forward is if one of the male characters is doing the one overall strap thing. You know what I'm talking about. I yeah. just can't even look at it. I can't even look at it. <laughs> I will skip the storyline yeah, yeah, to avoid care. this eyesore. <laughs> it's just so terrible. And I was definitely guilty of doing that as well in junior oh, high. Me too. But, oh, no wonder. I mean, no wonder my mom was always like, what are you doing? Well, do you remember remember in Clueless where Ty goes to that party and she has like the ugliest outfit at oh, the party God. and it's yes. the little overall with the ones with yes yeah with the one strap and then she ties like the sweater around her waist it's just uh, just the it's the tragedy. <laughs> when I think about Brittany Murphy, I get so sad, mm-hmm. and they dressed her so terribly oh in that movie. Oh my I mean, god. It just wasn't even fair. I just recently rewatched that movie actually. Me too. Oh wow. And I was like, wow, they really did Brittany Murphy a disservice. Mm-hmm. They they really did because yeah, you you look at pictures of her post that and you're like, wow, she's a lot more attractive. I know. Like there was something weird going on with her hair and the clothes uh-huh. were just horrible. Well, she was supposed to be, you know, the tomboy. <laughs> and I don't know if she ever actually had like all the money that you know Cher did mm-hmm. yeah well, we never really so, went into her backstory actually at all yeah. we didn't know anything yeah, we about never her. got there yeah mm-hmm. yeah well I want to see a reboot of Clueless from her perspective that would be lovely yeah would watch would you watch it wearing a blossom hat uh listen <laughs> I wore so many blossom hats i can imagine amanda is a hat person i am a hat person she wears hats all day and if you recall from previous episodes i think i think for me it started with all those bonnets i wore (laughs) that's right but i had hooks covering this one wall in my bedroom and all it was was blossom hats like crushed velvet yes or like some Mm -hmm. dried roses i would love to see these back i mean they had them (laughs) them everywhere i feel like girls could really crush them if i found one in the wild i would immediately buy it i think it's time it's time i bet the flower could get better yeah yeah, there could be a lot of improvements in flower technology. I remember my favorite blossom hat was actually like a houndstooth wool, black and white, and then it had roses sewn on the front of it. it yes. Was lovely, guys. Lovely. Yes. That was my crown jewel of my blossom hat collection. <laughs> All right. Well, I, you know, I'm glad that mm-hmm. we're talking about the, like the 90s and the 80s right now because I'm going to talk about something that was really important to me in the 80s and 90s that's back again, and that's roller skating. There we go. 
So I am a roller skating fan from way back. I spent... Are you good at it? I'm okay. I mean, I haven't done it in a while. I would take Dylan sometimes when she was little and I was like, oh yeah, still, still got the skills. In junior high, I spent almost every Friday night at Hagee's Fountain Blue in central Pennsylvania. It was our, our mm-hmm. county's skating rink. And mm-hmm. my skates actually came from a yard sale and they were white with pink laces and wheels. So I feel like they were actually really on brand for me. Cute. <laughs> but Cute. I, I also have to say that like while I have many fond memories of roller skating, I also I've experienced roller skating tragedy. In fourth grade at our all school roller skating party, I broke my wrist (laughs) backwards skating. Um, So like I was not very good at backwards skating. I would get too nervous. And but this time I was somehow pulling it off. And of course, then I fell and people fell on top of me. People ran into my arm. It was like a pile up. You know, I was in fourth grade. I was pretty small Aww. and they pulled me out and I went over to my mom. My mom had stayed for the party and I was like, I think something's wrong with my arm. And she was like, no, it's not. It's <gasps> fine. And then a person who worked at the roller skating rink and wait, but this was your mom. This is your Disney hating mom. This is your mom. Disney hating yeah, mom. This is my Disney hating mom. She would do my that. mom. <laughs> she would. So a person who was an employee of the skating rink who now, you know how, when you're a kid, everybody's an yes, adult, yes. right? My suspicion now as an adult is that at best, this person was 18 years old, very likely representative of the skating rink. They came over and looked at my arm and assured my mom it was fine. And so we went home and I went to bed and I'm the pain was horrible, Kim, like a broken bone is no joke. And I was like a latchkey child. So I would get myself up in the morning and, you know, have a coffee. No, I don't think I had a coffee, but make my breakfast, get dressed and walk myself to school. And... I could not even get like a shirt over my arm. It was so bad. So I stuffed it into this cardigan that was my grandfather's. So I had like really big sleeves and I went to school and uh, I was in agony and we walked single file down the hallway to go to library class. Remember when library was a class? Like that is so weird to me saying library class. I didn't have library class. Oh, it was like once a week we'd have to go to library class and learn about how to look things up in the library Hmm. and stuff. You really missed out, Kim. (laughs) So we were on our way to library class and a kid like poked me and it made me run into the wall and I fainted (gasps) because I bumped my arm. What? Next thing I know, I'm in the nurse's office and my mom has to come and pick me up. I mean, my mom must have been mortified. She takes me to the emergency room. Of course, they're like, yeah, your arm is way broken. They set it and do all that stuff. And my mom was like, okay, well, let's go shopping. You can get whatever you want afterwards. And let's just throw money at this. (laughs) Yeah. So she took me shopping and uh, I was like a, you know, a very bookish child. So I wanted some books, but I kind of had read everything that the bookstore had because, you know, it was a bookworm. And so she was like, well, today you can start reading adult books. And so the first adult book I read in fourth grade was Flowers in the Attic. Which one was that? It's about incest and stuff, but I didn't know that until I was in my 20s. And the other book I got that day was called Wifey. It's written by Judy Bloom, and it is horny. (laughs) It was so horny, and I didn't know anything that was in it, but I just figured I'd figure it out someday. Wait, how old were you? Uh, I was in fourth grade, so I was probably like, what, nine? Oh, my God, that's so cute. So anyway, so that's my my personal experience with roller skating. I will also say that the roller skating rink where I broke my arm burned down to the ground a few years later. And the rumors around school were that when it burned down, 
the song Smoking in the Boys Room was playing. I'm, I'm sure. Yes, that's I definitely. Have to, I have to believe it. I have to believe it, right? How else can I go on with my life? So anyway, I was really excited to all of a sudden. It's, I swear to God, it happened like overnight. Roller skating was all over my Instagram. Yeah. Mine too. I saw it everywhere. Yeah. It made me jealous. I mean, I can't skate worth anything. It made me jealous because there's no way I could skate around the streets of Philly, but roller Mm -hmm. skating is such a delight. So, I mean, the outfits alone. I know. I know. It's, it's very good aesthetically. Mm -hmm. So if you were also seeing it everywhere at once, which you were Kim and probably everybody who's listening, Mm -hmm. you are not alone because videos with roller skating hashtags like hashtag roller skating had more than 500 million views on TikTok. Wow. And according to Google Trends, since the start of quarantine, roller skates has been searched more than ever, reaching that peak popularity of that search term in May. I think it may have fallen off a little bit since then because mm-hmm. every single roller skate brand is on back order right now. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's a perfect, it's a perfect summer sport. It is. Too. It is. And it's just, like it's when there's no school and it's like just happy and you're outside. Mm-hmm. It's an outdoor form of exercise in a time mm-hmm. when you can't go to the gym and it's hard to see your friends and maybe you don't have school and, you know, and, and it just, it feels good to roller skate. It's way mm-hmm. more joyful than running, you know, yeah. like you mentioned, there are outfits for it. Like it's got this long legacy of great fashion associated with it. So it just looks good. It feels good. It's got that like that seventies nostalgia it with does. like the little those little um, gym shorts, essentially. Yeah, and like knee socks mm-hmm. and just it's all so, about color. Like Roller girl from um, Boogie Nights, like yeah. that whole look. Totally, totally. So, what you might call the queen of roller skating on TikTok is a woman mm-hmm. named Anna Koto, and she's a twenty nine year old Cuban American actor and dancer based in L.A. And her TikTok profile actually says, don't hate roller skate. (laughs) And I'm kind of like, can I make that my Instagram? That's cute. Because I I love that. And she points out that, you know, roller skating has been around long before TikTok and quarantine. Her grandmother skated in Havana in the 50s. I mean, this Mm. is, roller skating has been around for a long time. And I'm actually excited for the resurgence in roller skating because it's been vital in many communities for generations. And in fact, Rinks have long been a safe space for LGBTQIA kids and and you know communities of color and and people of all ages in within these communities, kids, teens, mm-hmm. and adults. But I will say that roller skating never actually went away. It's been an integral part of the Black community for decades. Uh, the pioneers of rap, including Dr. Dre, Queen Latifah, and NWA, got their start performing in roller rinks. That's amazing. It's amazing, right? And NWA performed at a roller rink in Northridge called Skateland, and that's actually in the NWA movie. In the early days of hip-hop, roller skating was so pivotal for Black youth, like it was such an important activity and source of community, that rival LA gangs like the Bloods and the Crips called truces around skate venues like like no gang warfare at the at the skate rink no gang activity because this was like an important part of the community there is an incredible documentary called united skates that explores and demonstrates the connection between black communities and roller skating in la i can't recommend it highly enough it actually brought me to tears i was looking it up you know during quarantine because i'd heard about it and i think i could only find it on like HBO, which I don't subscribe to. Yeah, 
that's where I watched it. It's been on there for a while. I remember we were still in Portland when Justin and I watched it. I, I'm pretty sure. Maybe it was right after we'd moved here, but it was well before quarantine when we saw it. And over the past few decades, there has been a decline in roller skating rinks, you know, primarily because of gentrification and also, you know, rising rents and shifts in property values and zoning. There's another roller skating documentary called L.A. Roll. And this one you can watch online. It's on Vimeo. And it explores one community's experience Mm -hmm. with losing their local skating rink. It's it's so sad. You know, like there's nowhere else for all these kids to go. And there's another documentary. So I've got three yeah. roller skating documentaries for you called called Roller Dreams. And once again, this one's all about the importance of skating in black communities. So now we're at this point, you know, again, where roller skating has worked its way into everyone's consciousness. And a lot of people are noticing that black people seem to be erased from the convo, even though black people have been creating this rich skating community for generations now that's so tied up in in music and, you know, the community itself and youth having something to do and like actual, you know, physical prowess and technique, like it's mm-hmm. an art form. And yes, there are still skating rinks in more white middle-class communities, but black people are often discriminated against in all kinds of insidious ways when they visit these, these rinks, you know? One of the black skaters who's experienced this kind of discrimination in these white rinks is Camry James. And along with some other skaters, she has launched Sister Skaters, which are skate classes taught exclusively by black women for black kids and other black women. That's awesome. Yeah. I support everyone getting involved in skating as long as you aren't homophobic or racist because roller skating is also a big part of the gay community in many cities. So if you check these boxes, i.e. you're not homophobic and you're not racist, then you need to get some skates, which, as I mentioned, is a little challenging right now. Uh, The two coolest places out there are Impala and Moxie Skates. I prefer the colors and the sort of styling offered by Impala, but Moxie Skates calls their protective gear Moxie Pads. Oh so I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm into that. Uh, both, oh. both brands are incredibly backordered, which bums me out because now I want a pair of skates. And I'm going to tell you, I think you should wear protective gear. Sorry to be the mom here, but falling really hurts, especially outside. There's a big difference between skating on asphalt and skating in a roller rink. Mm-hmm. And skinned knees are brutal as an adult. Like they're just so painful. They take so long to heal. Wear some knee pads, man. And both of these brands have really cute knee pads. Like some have rainbow trim or they're in cute colors that match back to your skates. And so I think you can, you know, work out a really good outfit that way. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a resurgence of these like roller skating themed like diners and drive throughs And um, I mean, I know that, that there's like movies and things too. I mean, I love that idea because, you know, we can't eat in restaurants. No. I feel fearful for what's going to happen to the restaurants when winter comes. I know that's not as much of an issue in LA, but here in Philadelphia, all the restaurants are outdoor seating only. What's going to happen to them? Like, I'm not that I'm saying they're all going to turn into skating drive-ins, but I do think that everyone needs to explore every way. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I have been seeing more and more temporary drive-in movie theaters popping up. 
I mean, they, they, they could they could kind of partner with some restaurants. I mean, that's it's easier said than done. Or trucks, like food trucks and things where you can like order off yeah. a menu. And someone yeah. could just skate around or skateboard around. I mean, that would be freaking yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all getting more invested in being outside because it's our only option. So I, like I said, I don't know what's going to happen when winter comes. I picture we're all just inside wearing sweatpants and like in the fetal position. Oh. Lots of candles. Just what we need. <laughs> do you, do you see any any opportunities within the skate, like actual skates? Like, do you think there's any skates that are missing? I mean, I know how the industry works, so I don't think anybody can jump on it right away. But there's clearly, clearly opportunity for more skate brands. No, of course. Uh, of course. That said, I mean, what an undertaking because this mm-hmm. might not be in in a year. I do think there could mm-hmm. be opportunity for more skating rinks when this is over. If people adopt it now, aren't they going to want to go do it inside? Because like they are cl- absolutely and show off. Yeah, yes. yeah, and they're they're closing like crazy. I would assume that the yeah. pandemic has been very bad for roller skating rinks who were already hanging on by a thread. Mm-hmm. I looked at a ton of like retro roller skating outfits and fashion spreads and stuff over the past couple of days, and mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this really. Not that I want this to happen, but I'm like, man, if only you know, early aughts American apparel was still around. I know with the little shorts and the little, socks, little tank yeah, and yeah. a little ringer tee. Um, I mean, it's going to be real cute when people can wear their turtlenecks with it and like a big, <laughs> like a big sunglass. Yeah. What about Amanda inline skates? Oh, okay. I am two thumbs down on that. I think, Oh yeah. I think rollerblading is incredibly uncool and very douche yeah. city. Did you ever, Wrap around glasses. Um, you got an Oakley. Did you ever watch <laughs> Kids in the Hall? Did you ever watch that? Oh, yeah. There was a guy course, who had a yes. shirt that said, Ask me about rollerblading. That's what I always think about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I see no redeeming aesthetic quality to rollerblading. And uh, it's also really dangerous. People get really, really hurt. I remember reading crazy statistics about the rise in injuries based really? on rollerblading yeah like that people coming to the emergency room rose pretty substantially <laughs> in the year in the 90s when uh, rollerblading really came up so do, do you think you can go faster on rollerblades than you can i don't know anything about roller skating you don't want me on any wheels on my feet like it, it is going to be a disaster i think you can it's kind of more like ice skating that way where you can really pick up some mm-hmm. speed because all of your your wheels are on one plane there, like a, like an ice skating blade, but uh, it's also just harder, you know, and it's harder to control them. I think a, mm-hmm. a higher level of physical prowess is required. I knew one person back in Brooklyn that would use um, rollerblades to get around as transportation. She really crushed it because she had a really cool look. She was kind of like this Amazonian woman. Yeah. And you just saw her and you're just like, I, I, I wish, I wish I could do that, but I would look absolutely silly. So it really, it's like maybe the one or 2% that can really pull off a, a rollerblade <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> you need a, you really, you really need to be dramatic and you really need a look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You definitely, I mean, do. unless you, unless you wear it with your Looney Tunes tee. <laughs> God, stop. Gross. <laughs> I feel like you could on in terms of rollerblading, the best outfitting there is gonna be really like post apocalyptic. That's what yeah. I would say. <laughs> yeah. Or like uh Angelina Jolie and hackers, maybe. I don't know. Uh, yes. 
they're super 90s, yeah. uh, but slick, yeah, pretty slick, you know, yeah. like a biker short. It's doable, <laughs> but it can also just fail on you so quickly. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to be clear to everybody listening that just because we're talking about how you could make that outfit work doesn't mean we think you should. We do not condone this. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, this whole episode is about nostalgia. And I do think it's a function of what we're going through right now, which is like a super dark time. And we've talked in previous episodes about how in the 70s when everything was really going to shit, people got really into like the pioneer <laughs> era as like the nostalgia they went back mm. to, right? Like they they were really into Little House on the Prairie, both the books and the show, and to be honest, also the fashion. It was all about like these simpler frontier times. And I find that in terms of entertainment, we're really looking backwards right now too as like an escape. So I've been rereading a lot of young adult books and I'm not the only one. There are a lot of podcasts and blogs about mm -hmm. this. I actually started to rediscover my love of young adult fiction last year with some more modern writers, including Kate Williams, who wrote a book called The Babysitter Coven that I highly recommend to everyone. Is that new? It's new. Yeah, it came out last oh. year. Wait, question, question. Mm -hmm. Is it about witches? It is. And oh. babysitting. Oh my God, what a mashup. And incredible style and good taste in music. I mean, it is a delight. You would love it. Wait, oh wait, good taste. So she they write about the music that they listen to in the book. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And like what a good influencer. Cute, I know, and like cute vintage outfits and oh. just it's it's just really great. And then there's also Mary H.K. Choi. She's another modern young adult writer. She has two books called Permanent Record and Emergency Contact that are also very pop culture driven and influenced. I, I love those as well. Awesome. I actually just kind of picked these books up on a random on, on a flight back from LA. I went to the last bookstore in downtown LA and bought all of these. And I, I read like six or seven of these modern young adult books. And it was just such a delight. I'd been so mm -hmm. stressed out with work and personal life. And it was just the easiest escapism. And yeah. I do have to preface this by saying, I never got into Twilight or Harry Potter. It just, I did. It, it just, for me, it just didn't enter my life at the right time. Like that stuff yeah. was relevant at a time where I was like, fuck that. I am way too cool, you know? And so I, I get jealous of people who love Harry Potter and have the relationship because they get excited. Well, I, I was too cool, <laughs> but my mother was a second grade teacher and she had made me go see Harry Potter when it first came out in the theaters and I got hooked. <laughs> like, it was a very strange thing. Like, I would have never, ever gotten interested in, in it unless my mother was like, hey, all my kids are talking about this book and this movie. And I have to see what <laughs> it is. And then we all kind of got into it. So did you read the books then yeah. after you saw the movie? Yeah. Okay. I've read all the books. Wow. Yes, absolutely. I would never say if I'm like a Hufflepuff <laughs> or a Slytherin or anything. Like, that's not really my style. But, you know. Right, right. <laughs> But I, like, I liked the book. I really thought there were really, really fun reads and really digestible, even as like a crazy hipster. You yeah, know? yeah. I, I, now I, you're making me want to want to try them. Maybe that. I will. Uh, oh, they're fantastic. They're fantastic. So I guess what I'm saying is like, I don't ordinarily as an adult read young adult fiction. And after this reading spree of all of these modern young adult writers, I felt I felt kind of weird, right? And I brought it up at work and a coworker who 
to be honest, it was a, a direct report. Oh, she just lit into me about how disgusting and creepy it was that I was reading those books. And I felt like what? a garbage person pedophile, like a, just oh my a, God. a garbage person. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to stop this. But then I happened upon a podcast about Judy Bloom books called the Bloom Saloon. And uh-huh. I love Judy Bloom growing up. I've also read a lot of her adult books and I've been rereading all my favorites alongside this podcast. And that has led me down a rabbit hole of other young adult writers of the 70s and 80s, including Norma Klein, who's like now one of my favorites. So I'm reading a ton of her stuff. And to be honest, all this late 70s, early 80s young adult fiction is far more advanced and sophisticated in comparison to the later 80s young adult stuff that you and I would have read, like Sweet Valley High and Babysitter's Club, mm-hmm. like night and day. Like there's, it's a lot sexier. There's a lot more political yeah. content and conversation about racism and sexism. It's just much more issues driven. And it's interesting to read these and see how much mm-hmm. has changed and yet how little has changed since then. Well, I'm not the only person who's going through this weird time of reading young adult fiction during quarantine. I noticed that Jezebel did a summer book club series about My Sweet Aldrina, which is one of the seminal V.C. Andrews novels. That's the writer of Flowers in the Attic and many more books that are vaguely about incest okay. and wealthy people. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting because like it was it's always about like what's appropriate for kids to read back then you know yeah like, they're always trying to weigh it which is why sweet valley high and babysitter's club were, were like bubble gum mm-hmm. and but then you got this kind of strange like <laughs> i know i know and i mean some of the judy bloom stuff even is banned in some schools for containing references to people enjoying sex or people having eating disorders. It's interesting to me because I do feel like you and I, as like we partially lived in this era of starting to keep kids from the real truth about life or something like sanitizing Mm -hmm. stuff, right? But there was some window in the mid 70s to the early 80s where it was like, no, let's be as real as possible with kids. Yeah. There are tons of podcasts for just about every young adult writer you can remember from growing up. There's a Sweet Valley High one. Uh, There are multiple R.L. Stein podcasts. I never really got into the scary kind of books, but they're out there too. And, you know, I think Mm -hmm. it's just like a really, it's just so comforting to read these books. And it's a nice distraction. I mean, I can read one of these books in like 30 to 45 minutes. And it's just a nice little break. In comparison, I've been trying to read the same book about the women of the abstract expressionist movement for more than six months now. But I'm too distracted Uh, and anxious to focus on a serious book. So I'm just continuing to do that. I don't have any mean coworkers to diss me about it. Everybody in my household is very supportive. So I've been searching eBay for all my favorite books with the versions of the cover art that I remember from my youth. So I'm building up a little collection over here. Have you ever read the Wheatsy Bat series? Oh my God, I love the Wheatsy Bat. I already have all those. I'm uh, rereading it. It's so good. Okay, so if you love Wheatsy Bat, then you have to order the Babysitter's Coven right now. I will. I feel I like they're very similar. Will. Yeah. Uh, I love I have Wheatsy Bat. no shame about reading a young adult novel. <laughs> no problem with that. Yeah, it's so weird. I don't know. I, I think about like... I can be easily shamed. It's it's in my DNA or something. <laughs> no, no, so. you, you, when someone is shaming you, yes. And especially something that you kind of felt a little bit uncomfortable with and it yeah. wasn't fully normalized and you didn't realize that it was normalized. 
and totally. they're saying saying all this crap to you yeah of course you're gonna feel shame and then and then you get a wake-up call and you're like oh this is just a direct report who has absolutely no <laughs> who idea is, who is mean who's just <laughs> mean mean yeah <laughs> Wait, did you did you hear that the Weetsy Bat series is getting made into I think like a movie? I mean, I have such mixed feelings about that because fifty percent of the time I'm so disappointed when this happens. Mm. You know, because I feel like especially the Weetsy Bat series, like you have so many images in your mind mm -hmm. because it's so like descriptive and it's like so yeah. like, sensual in a weird way. You yeah, know? And yeah. So I'm gonna be really bummed probably by what it really turns out to be i mean who knows but uh it's so good Ugh. i mean i was rereading it last night and i started getting kind of teared up because yeah. they were she was just talking about all these places in la some of them i oh. knew and some of them i didn't know but they were all just like kind of like cult classic places mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it just made me so sad you know like we can't go anywhere we can't do like la is just known for all these like, crazy I old know. amazing places and I was just I started getting really bummed I had to actually just put the book down thinking about it makes me really sad it's like nostalgia yeah yeah <laughs> I reread them when I moved to LA it gave me this feeling of such excitement because now I was yeah. living in the place where all this happened and I could go to Pink's Hot Dogs if I wanted I never did but I could have you know mm -hmm. and, and I can't even imagine reading it now and knowing that you can't go anywhere. I've been av avoiding rereading it during this quarantine because I am so sad about being trapped don't, in Philadelphia. Don't do yeah, it. I think my I think my mental health can handle it. Don't do it. It's so sad. <laughs> but I mean, but it's it's still such a good story. So it is. It is yeah. highly recommended if you haven't read it, mm -hmm. and uh, if you have, read it again. It's so good for this time. Just just so everyone knows, it's like from the late 1980s. Um, early 1990s literally written during that time period during this kind of like punk scene so just just so you get a little perspective mm -hmm. it's really it's it's an easy read it's light it's, you know it feels yeah. timeless though like it's always hard to pinpoint when it's happening and I like that but I feel like LA is magical like that anyway it, it LA is so timeless there's gay characters in it which is mm -hmm. it was so way ahead of its time <laughs> it's amazing so ahead uh, I couldn't believe it uh, yeah well, another thing that people have been doing during the pandemic, which doesn't probably shock anyone, is watching a lot of TV. Yeah. And I I have noticed more recently in the past month that everybody's really talking about older television shows. Yeah. And I think this is a function of two things, right? One, guess what, guys? We're running out of new content. I mean, like, things haven't been filmed for so long. And we've watched everything that was already in existence before everything shut down. So I think a lot of the streaming services are like, shit, we need some, we need some stuff. We need some mm -hmm. programs, right? So we've seen them being injected into Netflix and Hulu and HBO and all kinds of other services. But also, once again, it comes back to this idea of just wanting to feel comforted and be reminded of a more comforting time. So... I know Moesha's back. It's one of the top streamed things on Netflix, according to my Netflix. I have watched some of the episodes myself. Do they hold up? They definitely hold up. And they all have, like, a moral. That was how TV was then. It was, yeah. Like, yeah. Everything had a moral to it. Dustin and I always like to talk about 
dark reboots as like a joke because we live in the era of dark reboots, you know, mm-hmm. like where I was like, how about a dark reboot of the love boat? And actually it's like a purgatory yeah. and everybody who's on there is already dead and never found love. And they're, it's going to take 12 <laughs> seasons for them to realize that they're all dead. And wait, did you hear that they're doing one for Fresh Prince? A dark reboot? What? Shut up. Yes. What? It's That's... a drama reboot of Fresh Prince. I just oh read about God. it. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, you know, he there was a lot of violence going on in his neighborhood. That's why there he was. Moved. Yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. know. How I, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I mean, I really do like um, the new adventures of um, Sabrina, the teenage witch. Yeah, me too. Very dark. Very dark. Really, really enjoy. Yeah, that. That's Wish a good there one. were more. <laughs> right now. Yeah, I know. I agree. It's going to be a while. So, but don't worry because you can also watch all the original episodes of Supermarket Sweep, oh. uh, which I think is on Netflix right now. Um, I'm just going to tell you that Dustin and I already went down that rabbit hole mm. like six months ago because there was some channel on our Roku where you can watch all these old game shows. And he kept making me watch supermarket sweep with him, uh, which I did love when I was a kid. I did I love it. Idea. Yeah. Right. Like I would be like someday mm-hmm. I'm going to be on supermarket sweep and I'm going to win. Well, you watched and, it when you were sick, you know, like when you had to yeah, stay home. Totally. Totally. And uh, you know, it's something we reference all the time when we're like shopping really hurriedly or something, mm-hmm. we're throwing stuff in carts, but totally. I will say uh, watching Supermarket Sweep now as an adult, the section of the show where they had to do like games, the people on there are so dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Like the games are so easy. Like I remember like when I was a kid, we would get the TV guide in the mail and it had a crossword puzzle. And I know people love the TV guide crossword puzzle. So I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings, but it was stupidly easy it would be, you know, like, it would be like, uh, mm-hmm. the blank Prince of Bel-Air and you'd be like, uh, like if you'd yeah. ever seen TV, you could do it in like five minutes. That's <laughs> supermarket sweep is like, have you ever been to a grocery store? You can win all these games. Like it's just so easy. <laughs> and so I always get angry and then we have to turn it off. Cause I'm like, why are these people so stupid? But there's incredible hairstyles and interesting interpersonal relationships yeah. there. And so I, highly recommend it. I heard that it's it's actually also being rebooted. So there's also been a reboot of the Babysitters Club. Yeah. And it's it's cute. I think the thing that It re- is hokey. It is really hokey, but I will say there's one refreshing thing about it. The girls, the actresses playing the girls mm-hmm. actually seem to be like 12 or however old they're supposed to be. Yeah. And that's really unusual. I feel like we have become so accustomed to teenagers being played by 30-year-olds and middle school kids being played by 18-year-olds. Except for Pen15 where it's meant to be funny. I know. Oh, when is that show? They're, gonna, they're coming out with a new one in September. Oh my God, I can't wait. I can't wait, guys. I it's the best show ever. Wait. It was so hilarious. Yes, I can't wait. That's good to know. That's good to know. And, mm-hmm. and then also... This one kind of surprised me because in my mind, The Office didn't go off the air that long ago, but I guess it did. And so younger people, like teenagers, are getting really into The Office. Oh, I watch it constantly. Oh, yeah. But I never stopped watching it. I'm actually listening to this podcast. They have The Office Scales, where it's Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey. Ooh. Go and break down every single episode and have character or you know, I guess the actors from the show come on as they dissect and give like fun facts and backstories. Wow. That sounds so fun. if you're really into the office like myself, 
to check it out. I, I did read a little bit about that, I think, on Jezebel, and they were talking about how the actress who plays Pam, that's Jenna, right? Yeah, Jenna. Kind of had really intense feelings for the guy who played Jim, like in real life. Really? Yeah. I mean, how could they know? They had how do they know? Chemistry. She looks, there's a couple episodes of that podcast where she's pretty oh. straightforward about it. So everybody should listen to that podcast. Yeah, it's it's really good. And it's kind of funny because Angela, the actual Angela character is um, just a very, like, obviously, like, sweet as pie. And, it, you know, I mean, she's an actress, you know, she's yeah. a comedian, you know, but her character is so severe, like a severe oh, so cat funny. lady. It's yeah. so amazing. So it's it's kind of funny to hear them talk about it. And they're also best friends in real life. Oh, I love that. I mean, they were, were there like 10 seasons of The Office? I mean, if you're going to work with someone for that long, like you're going to become friends. Absolutely. Or enemies. I mean, a lot of these, yeah. I, you know, I'm re-watching Community which is the Rick and Morty co-creator, Dan Dan Harmon. Uh And that became such a cult comedy during the time that it was filmed. I feel like it was, it was like the, the late tweensies, what they want to, they call that now, Um, you know, 2012 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And people are starting to jump onto that one. And it launched on Hulu. uh, It was on Hulu for five years, but then it launched on Netflix this April and it just blew up. Wow. Yeah, it no. went from, from a, a 300 to 400 range sitting um, to, to moving out to eight. What? But once again, yes. there's nothing to watch, you know, like there's nothing yeah. to do. So it's like a series like Community you may have missed. I did because I didn't even think I had a television at the time. It was on yeah. TV. Now it's a Thank great Thank God time you for, missed it. I know. Oh, it was so funny too. And I watched it back then. Mm-hmm. But it's really nice to have it now. <laughs> I bet because it is—it's fully escapist, and and even though it's not like that old, uh-huh. you know, maybe like it's like five to eight years old. It's very like very of the time though, like very PC referenced, very smart, very ahead of its time. And the Gen Zs and Millennials are just jumping on it, like they love it. And there's just there's memes, there's all this stuff going around about it. I mean, I think you know, good art is always timeless. This is sort of similar, but. I was telling Dustin yesterday that I felt that the band from the 90s that somehow continued to gain more relevance rather than lose it was Rage Against the Machine. That's true. <laughs> like uh-huh. the things that their lyrics cover are more relevant than ever. Yeah. And I was like, how often does that happen for a band? Yeah. We just want to embrace <laughs> it more and more and more. So there you go. Listen to some Rage Against the Machine too. <laughs> make you feel better or at least riled up so another thing that we've all been doing is i mean i don't think you've been doing this kim because based on our pre pre-game conversation here that yeah. is playing video games yeah i won't i won't touch them as as just a nerd of business and economics that fascinates me is the clear winners and losers during the pandemic, right? Like restaurants, they're, it's terrible. So it's like retail clothing, but like home is doing really well and grocery stores are ma- making money hand over fist. Well, so are the video game companies. Yeah, I can imagine. They made a record $10.86 billion in the first quarter of this year, up 9% year over year. And sales in May and June where even after this point, even more people had lost their jobs. Their sales were up 
52% from last year. Wow. One of the big, the big winners is the Nintendo Switch, which I have been trying to track down for months. It is sold out everywhere, which means I don't get to play Animal Crossing. And I am sad because Animal Crossing <laughs> is the cottage core hit of the year. Like when I ask myself which came first, Animal Crossing or Cottage Core, I can't even oh. decide because they're so hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Tons of my friends who are, you know, adult people, they work in fashion or they're teachers or they're academics, they have all been posting about their Animal Crossing games. And I'm dying of jealousy because I want to play Animal Crossing too. It looks so fun. But this rise in video games, I mean, it makes sense, right? We're all trapped at home. Maybe we don't have a job. And we kind of need something to be excited about. We need something that has goals attached to it, you know, more than just like survival. And Agreed. You know, so video games give you a sense of accomplishment when you beat a level that was really hard and you're like working towards something. And on top of that, there's something really nostalgic and comforting about playing video games. I mean, I was not allowed to have video games growing up where did you obviously obviously because of the, the disney thing <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I can't get over that i just like i'm never I mean, gonna drop a, that there was a lot of weird stuff that went in on my ha- in my household growing up uh <sighs> my brother was allowed to play video games but i was not because my mom felt like i was the smart <sighs> one and he was the dumb one and so it was good to keep him busy with video games, but I, oh I should be in my room reading or like I, my mom would make me practice my handwriting after school every day by copying the dictionary. Like this is what I did for fun. So I definitely God. romanticized video games and oh, wanted them so badly. When I was a kid and would go over to someone else's house that had video games, that's like all I wanted to do. And I felt so rude, but I was just like, please, come on. Can we just play Mario one more time? A few years ago, I had mono and I was, I mean, all I could do was go to work or lay in bed. Like that was it. That was all I had the energy for. And so we bought a PlayStation 2, which was already pretty retro at that point. So I could play Katamari Damacy, which is the best video game ever. It's Japanese and you roll up things with a ball. It's I'm making it sound dumb, but it's very, very cool and fantastical. So I've been playing that a little bit during the pandemic too. I haven't played any video games for about a month, but there was a couple months there where it was like every day from three to five was my video game time. (laughs) (laughs) And I felt like a degenerate, but now that I know that everybody else was doing it, I feel a lot better. I mean, I, I had a Nintendo when I was growing up, you know, and I, I was the youngest of three girls. And so I really, I didn't get really Mm -hmm. to play that much. I got to watch them play though. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what we did we just kind of watched i just watched my sisters play super mario brothers i mean it's kind of fun i i yeah. nannied for a kid after college who was like five and he all he wanted to do was watch me play his game boy <laughs> like he loved yeah. it and i was like don't you want to turn? And he'd be like, no, I like watching you play it. And we're, so we're both, you know, hovering over this tiny little game boy so he can watch me play it. (laughs) Well, I'm transitioning down to the analog and that's what they call this now. This was actually pastimes that were not called analog when we were growing up, but now they're called analog, analog pastimes. Yeah. They were just like highly relevant. They were just things you did. Yeah. Oh my God. Which is analog games. And mine, I'm going to talk about most specifically are puzzles. 
So puzzling is a great American pastime, something reserved <laughs> for times when we were more idle, you know, um, a family activity. But mm -hmm, most importantly, mm -hmm. something that gives us a sense of purpose, that purpose that you were talking about for extended periods of time. So essentially can it take up a lot of time um, while giving our eyes a break from going from one screen to the next, which is actually kind of necessary these days because the eye strain, no matter how many blue blocking lenses you wear, you really got to take your eyes off of something, but still get a little bit of gratification. So puzzles mm -hmm. started kind of blowing up and Refinery29 first reported on the uptick of jigsaw puzzle interest in December 2019. They did not see this, obviously, because quarantine coming, but they mentioned that it <laughs> that it outdid. I don't know. I think this was all. I think this was all started by big puzzle. <laughs> the big puzzling industry. Well, yeah, the big puzzling industry. <laughs> you know, they expected it to reach about 730 million. This was back in 2019. 730 million by 2024, outdoing 2015's hot trend of the adult coloring books, which Amanda, you had a little mention. Yeah, I sent you an article today about mm -hmm. adult coloring. Listen, I know many people find so much like peace in coloring. So I don't want to diss that. Like I think there's something very cathartic and escapist about it and lets you like daydream while you're doing it. But the article I read talked about how coloring was really a tool of submission. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I thought that was really fascinating. So at my school in kindergarten, every morning when you came in, you had to like color for a while. I don't know if it was 15 minutes, an hour, who knows, but it was what you did while everybody was getting seated and coming in. And I thought it was so boring. I was just like, why can't we draw yeah. pictures? Why do we have to color? And so I, you know, I would liven things up. I would give people purple hair and green faces and, you know, make their clothes plaid, even though there wasn't like plaid to color in. And they called my mom in for a conference about it. Whoa. That and my mom was like, listen, could you from now on just color pictures normally? Or you're not gonna get to go to first grade. This this episode is really, really <laughs> defining Amanda's childhood. She's so weird. Yeah, but imagine getting in trouble for that. And I was like, yeah. but coloring's boring. And my mom was like, Yeah, I know. Just do it anyway. They think you need to see a therapist. I mean, how did you come out of your childhood a, a relatively normal human being? <laughs> I don't know. It's like you're Matilda or something. <laughs> I know. I know. It's uh, it's pretty weird. I definitely feel like where I grew up in Central PA at the time I grew up with the family I grew up with is just a perfect storm of like the weirdest fucking stories. <laughs> <laughs> you actually she does have some really funny stories which one of these days i will i will force you to tell some stories about your your mother's boyfriends but not in this episode not in this episode but yeah definitely i i, I they're could, my favorite I, I'm always like, should I just write a really ridiculous book and know that no one will ever speak to me again? But definitely, it was, it was in a retrospect, it was a hilarious time to be alive <laughs> and weird and weird. So, yeah. So, so but anyway, going back to that, like, I remember thinking, and I'm telling you, I'm like five years old, that I knew that they were just making us color to keep us in line. Mm -hmm to keep make us behave and not like act out or yell and to sit still. And 
that feeling has never left me. So when I saw that article on Slate today about coloring really being a tool of submission, I lost my mind. I was like, finally, vindication. <laughs> what is it? It's like, uh, it's that, that's that Pink Floyd, like, we don't need, need no education. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, it's like Amanda's, Amanda's childhood. <laughs> but I will say that, like, I know that coloring is really popular. And last year, multiple people alone tried yeah. to get me into it. And I was just like, I can't tell you this story about kindergarten, but basically coloring doesn't sit well with me. Now, give me a crossword puzzle book and mm -hmm. I will do that all day. <laughs> like I, mm -hmm. I love a puzzle, like a crossword puzzle or a logic problem, but I'm very anti-coloring. Well, puzzling, jigsaw puzzling, <laughs> actually kind of really similarly to coloring is reported to help with anxiety, sleep, memory, and it helps you with a kind of with meditation, which is why a lot of people have been kind of turning to it to help reduce some of these 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 feelings of, of that anxiety. It also gives you that sense of purpose that we were talking about and a little sense of completion and a, a self-esteem boost. You can like take a picture of it if you want, hashtag it, whatever. So even before the quarantine, more of these modern puzzle options were starting to come out. Sales on puzzles jumped over 370% from the same time back at the start of quarantine, surging higher than before Christmas, which is usually the height of puzzle sales. I know. I'm sure that's like mm -hmm. the big time of year for the, puzz the puzzling industry. Yeah. I mean, that's, when, I, when I go home for Christmas, like my mother always has a puzzle and there's always oh. this epic puzzle situation and it's never less than a thousand pieces. And I usually am into it for a little while and then I lose interest and then everyone else kind of gets into it. We kind of go back and forth and we drink cocktails and the puzzle, you know, slowly gets made and then someone might stay up till like three in the morning and then you get up in the morning and they're like, I finished the puzzle, you know, <laughs> like we all kind of do it. It's like it's something fun to do together that you also don't have to sit and talk to, to your family or you could talk to them. When, when stay at home orders were being issued, I personally went searching for a puzzle and there was literally nothing. I think I might've been a little bit late to the game. <laughs> There was nothing. And Amanda, I'm going to text you a picture of the only puzzle that was left that was sadly on Amazon. <laughs> and I'm going to explain what you're going to see here. So the only puzzle, it was a 500 piece puzzle of a frog sitting on a toilet. What? Did you buy this? Golf. <laughs> no. This is... So like, how weird. Did uh, they, this they, get made, first of all. I mean, everything, everything about this makes me angry. Also, it's $30. $30. Puzzles oh, are, are expensive. $30. It is a horrible drawing. I know. Like a, a, a frog sitting on a toilet playing golf, whose horrible imagination that you actually drew it and then you submit it to a puzzle company and then they proceeded to give it the green light. And there's like a weird <laughs> toilet paper flying through the air. The line, know, like even everything. just from a, like take the subject matter out of it, right? That's an aesthetic <laughs> choice. The actual drawing mm. is abysmal. It's very 70s. I can't explain it, but the the sense of space they're attempting to create isn't working. <laughs> 
That's all I want to say. It's so bad. It's so bad. Uh, but it, if you do purchase this puzzle, you get a free mobile home phone holder. It's like a thing to prop your phone on that looks like a panda. So maybe you want to reconsider. It's still available in case anyone's interested. Well, anyway. <laughs> so there's this new guard of puzzle brands that has been trickling out over the past two years. Like they kind of caught, caught on board. There was this like slight trend. Um, and, you know, cottage core has a time and a place, I got to say. But it's not when I'm putting together a puzzle. You know, the, usually the, the puzzles that have been available out there are a kitten, a cottage, a frog on a toilet, you know, just a bunch of garbage. And you spend a lot of time with these puzzles. So, you know, there's, a, there's some people that kind of started developing puzzles that actually were more works of art than they were, you know, just something to put mm -hmm. together. So there's a brand called Peaceworks Puzzles. One of their their quotes from their website is quality time in the great indoors. And I actually started noticing these puzzles at the home and gift shows over the past year. So I have to go and do these home and gift shows. And this last January, I, I was in the same aisle as, as Peaceworks Puzzles. And they're beautiful. They're slick branding, beautiful branding, and they have really beautiful. Oh, the boxes yeah. are beautiful. Modern photography. And it's, I think it's a pretty good value at $36 for a thousand pieces, considering that frog was $30 for <laughs> 500 pieces. Plus $6 shipping. It was yeah. expensive. So stupid. So this is a great, a great option. Um, and it's a really good gift too. The next one I want to talk about is Jiggy. And this was inspired by a woman founder who was using puzzles as a calming activity after work and was so bored by those cottages and other boring crap that was on these outdated puzzles as like kind of the only options. Um, so she basically started bringing in all these women artists and commissioning them to make art for their puzzles. And the puzzles come in these clear canisters that on their own are really beautiful to look at. And they come with their own glue. So if you want to glue them together, mm -hmm. you can frame them. You can buy a frame from her as well. They are a little bit more of a premium price. The debut collection is about $40 to $50 range. Like there's there's pictures of boobs and everything. It's really, really cool. The one I'm looking at right now is $150. Okay, well, that's something a little different. Okay. So when the pandemic hit, she was blowing through her puzzles. Like she could not keep them in stock. So the owner also, after talking to some of her artists, realized that they were all struggling because um, the galleries were closed. Like no, they, the artists weren't being commissioned to do anything. Like everyone was in a tough spot to kind of like offset this demand issue. She started sending them blanks, like blank puzzles to make art directly onto the puzzles. And so she gives a percentage of the sales back to the artist and also provides a donation oh, wow. to the artist's COVID relief fund. So those puzzles that are $150 are actually part of that collection. So if you buy one of those puzzles, it really goes back to the art artist community. Ah, that's so cool. It's so innovative and so interesting. And they, there are some really beautiful puzzles out there too. And the last one that, that has been doing really great puzzles is AreaWare, which is a, a design uh, brand and they've been doing cool puzzles for a couple years. They do these really hard gradient color puzzles. Oh yeah. They will make you crazy. They make you crazy and they're gorgeous. They partnered with this design brand Deuce and Deuce and recently as well to do some really, oh. really cool puzzles there. My sister gave my mother these murder mystery puzzles. So you, and these aren't like super high design, super cool, but this is like a, like an elevation of the, the, the normal puzzling 
you know, pastime. So it's a combination of two things people love, murder mysteries and puzzles. <laughs> and you get all these clues and you do not know what the puzzle looks like, which is really tough. Wow. You can't really follow the, the picture on the board to put the puzzle together. So it makes it really hard, but what a good pastime. There's also the ability to make your own puzzle. You can basically send in a picture of whatever you want. And there are these, these puzzle companies, you just Google it, and they'll print whatever you want on a puzzle, which would be a really fun gift to give people and send people that are far away from you to do, like a picture of your face. So they can spend hours putting together a picture of your face. <laughs> That's what I'm sending you for <laughs> Christmas. You know you. <laughs> I'm going to send you one for Christmas. <laughs> do you do you put together puzzles at all? You know, I don't. I like to do a puzzle with a friend. I can't imagine doing it with Dustin. I feel like we would get into an argument or something. I don't know. <laughs> but one time when I was a kid, we my mom was like, we're going to do a puzzle as a family. <laughs> it went so terribly. Well, of course it did. I mean, this isn't just the trajectory of your life. <laughs> I know. I know. And so uh, it involved me tripping and knocking the puzzle off the table. And so <laughs> I... I really feel like your childhood should be like a TV show. <laughs> and so I, uh, I'm very apprehensive about doing a puzzle unless like, like I would do it in an Airbnb maybe because like there wouldn't be any animals and like, you know, no one would show up that was unexpected and run into the table, but it really gives oh me anxiety. God. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the fear of, of ruining the puzzle I know, but I do oh. I do have a deep appreciation for it. And I will, when I have the opportunity to sit down and do a puzzle, like in a safe space, I enjoy it immensely. <laughs> I'm just not expecting you to take it there. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. Anyway. I mean, this is turning into like our weirdest episode yet. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm actually really happy though. about it. I'm All really happy about like... it. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> Stop we're being so nostalgic. We're being so nostalgic right now. So now we're going to pivot a little bit and we're actually going to talk about fashion and style. Even though these things are all related to that, we're actually going to talk about things that people wear. So I feel very strongly that mod is on the way back. And when I said mod, I meant what you think, M-O-D and not mod, the show, M-A-U-D-E starring B. Arthur. So just in case you were like, wait, I thought we already talked about TV. So mod began as a trend in the 1950s as like a counter reaction to poodle skirts and bobby socks and really just this whole like super feminine idea of dressing. And it really picked up momentum in the 60s. Mod was short for modernist. And the mod movement began in the suburban areas of the UK. So after World War II, teenagers were starting to have disposable income for the first time ever, and nothing was ever the same again, you know? Previously, even if you were a teenager, mm -hmm. any money you made from your part-time job or babysitting would be pulled back into the household. So, like, you wouldn't keep that money, you know? Your mom would use it to buy groceries. So now teenagers could go buy clothes just for fun. There were a lot of specific silhouettes and elements to mod that, you know, are timeless 
like every time mod comes back, they're part of it. So like mini skirts, sleek silhouettes, and extremely bold colors in print. I would almost bet that the first thing you think of when you hear the word mod is the bright colors in the print. And you might also be thinking of like Twiggy and Jean Shrimpton because they really personified that aesthetic. It was really radical for the time. Like if you picture someone in a like a bright, bold daisy print mini dress next to like someone in a long full skirt with like a blouse tucked in and some saddle shoes. I mean, that is a huge shift. And mm-hmm. mod is it's one of those things that's always coming back. Yeah. Right? Well, it's cool. It's cool. And it's it's like iconic like the mini skirt and shift dresses knee-high boots or socks tailored coats graphic prints I mean these are the hallmarks of mod fashion and they're never completely out of style ever right drop waist jackets and colorful flashy accessories like especially plasticky kind of accessories like those are key components of this style Mod had a moment in the early 90s, and I, I remember this. I was I was pretty young, but I remember seeing this yeah. 90s take on Mod in like teen magazine. It was like huge daisy prints, knee-high boots, wide headbands, little mini dresses. Think Lady Miss Keir from Delight. I mean, she's like the iconic patron saint of Mod in the 90s, right? I mean, I had one of those a vinyl dress, and, and I got it in, in the mall. At, yeah, um, yeah. Oh. What's what's like the punk store in the mall? Hot Topic. Hi, Hot Topic. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. No, totally. I can picture exactly what you're talking about. It was like on crazy sale and I got it and my mother was just like, where are you going to wear that? And I'm like, I will find a way. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, this was like a thing, right? And I think also uh-huh. yeah. like, for the first time since the 60s, there was this surge of Britpop bands coming into the United yes. States as well. So like Oasis and Blur and that kept... That kind of like fed the trend. Definitely. So then it went away, right? I mean, that's that's how mod works. It comes and it leaves. In the mm-hmm. early aughts in Portland, I saw it happening again. And we were all parading around in these adorable vintage mm-hmm. dresses because they were plentiful. Somehow they all ended up there. And people were riding scooters. Men were wearing scarves and Chelsea boots with their super tight polyester pants, which were also vintage. And at that time, Portland was primarily divided into two camps. So we had the hippies with their like flowing skirts and their toe rings. And then the hipsters who were like had this incredibly inorganic mod style. And I I feel like this is one of the reasons I see mod coming back again, because we've kind of gone through this crunchy time. In the early aughts, it was actually really big in the hipsters and the Midwest also. Oh, like, there it, you go. it was like the makeup, you know, the band mm-hmm. the makeup. Oh yeah. And all those hipsters were kind of like they were gravitating to that kind of cool um, mod look. And so then all, all the, everyone was kind of taking it on. It was like the big white belts. Mm-hmm. Is that like the, the boys were doing that kind of cute, like mod hair. Oh my God. I we love all that wearing haircut. Like short. Oh my God. I love that haircut. It's, it's like the Napoleon kind of haircut almost, you know, it, it definitely defined kind of how I was dressing and how a lot of people were dressing. It was skinny jeans. Um, but obviously it was kind of like modernized. Yeah. And I think, I think, uh, I mean, I'm going to tell you, I have a whole multiple boxes of my mod clothes in the basement that I've been waiting for this moment because I knew it was going to come back. But it's not just my own personal interest that makes me believe this is coming back. 
I really like to analyze the cycles of fashion. Like that's something that fascinates me. And when I look back at where we have been for the past couple of years, we've been in a cycle of more romantic styles. So like puff sleeves and soft florals and baby dolls, smocking, patchwork, long dresses, lots of froofy blouses. Well, guess what? That's what we were doing in the late 80s and very early 90s before that mod resurgence then. And in the 50s, that's kind of what was going on too. Like it was a much more feminine style of dress, much more traditional. And it gave birth to this new modern style, right? In the early aughts, it was a very similar thing where it was less about like puff sleeves and florals in the more literal romantic way that we've been seeing now. But there was this holdover of this like weird, earthy hippie stand at the mall aesthetic that had been kind of dragging on through the late 90s. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like people yeah. wear Birkenstocks with socks. Sound familiar to anyone? You know, like it, it carried on for a long time. There were so many toe rings and those yeah. like metal, like upper bicep bracelet cuff things and just you know, tribal tattoos. I mean, like you can picture it all and you can see how like mod coming back was, was definitely a response to that. Well, that's that's where we are again. Now, before the pandemic and even before like this romantic style really came up, boho, that whole boho style was still going really strong. Whoa, what, I call the, oh. what I call the been through the desert on a horse with no name aesthetic. So like <laughs> people romanticizing the desert and wearing lots of turquoise mm-hmm. jewelry and wearing big hats and, you know, getting really into new agey shit and I mean, Amanda, this actually kind of sounds a little. It like does you. a little bit. I mean, I have, I have, all, I have all of these things in me. Like, I, mm. I am a blender of styles, uh, and so you know, like cacti and Joshua Tree Reddings and all of these things. Like, right, we've been. I mean, white sands. Yeah, I mean, at least white sands is like you know where they tested the first atomic weapons. So absolutely, uh, I, I have no I have no issues with this. <laughs> so anyway, so I think that period, and you have to agree with me on this. It went on a lot longer than I thought it would. Like, I feel like this, like, desert vibe aesthetic has been going on since, like, I don't know, 2008, 2007. I think it's because the California, California itself, this is, like, really the first time it's been trending in, you know, the past maybe, like, I don't know, seven years mm-hmm. to California as opposed to New York, you know? To be fair, if you live in California, you're always kind of dre- kind of dressed like this. It's just how it is. Same, basically, if you live in the Southwest, it's part of, mm-hmm. it's part of the regionalism, right? But it's been mass for a long time. And I, I saw it just as a mm-hmm. buyer slowly waning as this more romantic, girly style came in that almost was a little bit Western in that it had that Laura Ingalls Wilder vibe, but it also was had this like East Coast romantic kind of feeling to it as well. And I think that's going to carry forward. And once again, it's so intrinsically entangled in that like West Coast cactus vibes anyway. You can easily wear all those things together and not look crazy. Plus cottage core. Plus cottage core. So right, I think that's still going to be going, but there's going to be this counter movement which is mod so oh, i would totally if i had the option mod. yeah totally for sure i think it's going to be a really good palette cleanser for everyone and it does mean that everything that's in my closet right now will have to go in a box in the basement i'm gonna have to do a full swap but i feel excited about it like i want to try it out again so 
I don't think it's going to happen this fall necessarily, but it might start shifting into place in winter and going into spring. So how I see it playing out is increased interest in bold prints like Checkerboard and Daisy, but not, and I, I cannot underscore this enough, not conversational prints as it was in the early aughts. Like you remember that era of like, whimsical, Mm -hmm. vintage, conversational prints. That's not what we're talking about here. I don't think it's going to be cute in that way. I don't see a lot of embellishment or applique either, right? Because that's too close to what's going on right now. I do think there's something about Rick Rack, though. I know that seems counter to what I've been talking about, but I've been seeing more of that coming out as a trim with like younger designers. And my friend who runs picnic wear has been blowing up the internet with these Rick Rack masks. So I do think Rick Rack can be a part of this, but it's going to be used. Can you explain to people that don't know what Rick Rack is? Oh yeah. It's like the trim. It's very vintage. It's like the wavy <laughs> mm-hmm. trim. It's definitely like a mid-century kind of thing. I do think using rickrack in a new way is is really exciting and it's like modern in terms of print direction i mean i'm only beginning to see this but i would say check out big bud press for more print and color inspiration because i think they're really nailing the palette and the print direction not necessarily the mod silhouette sorry like 70s youth culture yeah so ignore the clothing but pay attention to the colors and the print use i think it's really forward for where we're going and i've also been seeing a lot of big bold plastic jewelry popping up on instagram all these different artisans making plastic jewelry there's one her name's blush daisy and she sells out of her earrings nonstop. like people set alarms to try to hope to be able to land a pair and they're all really huge, brightly colored. Some of them are daisy shaped. They might be rainbow. They might have a different design on them. They're so right on for mod. It's crazy. There's another artisan on Instagram called Ada Binks, and she's been selling these amazing plastic daisy chain belts. You, you totally can picture what I'm talking about. And they're like the outlines of daisies, like black and white alternating. So cool. And so of that era. Just to reiterate again, because I know that this can be kind of confusing, but it won't be cutesy like it was in the early aughts. Like we're talking the, a more literal original version of mod with large scale geo prints and no fit and flare skirts, definitely platform shoes and boots, brightly colored tights and socks. I think patent leather shoes and accessories are going to be a big part of this. I mean, the Mary, the Mary Jane's are already kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's totally, totally. And I was going to say that our friend Ty at Intentionally Blank already has some shoes on his site that are perfect for this. And he's always ahead of the trend, I think. Uh, I'm contemplating a pink pair of patent leather platforms that he has right now for more inspiration. And we're going to share all of this in our show notes, but I would urge you to check out Marisol Muro on Instagram. Her style is amazing. And it's this like very modern take on mod mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not cutesy and go- like in terms of color goes really, really hard. And it the full package with the makeup and the accessories and everything. I, lo- I love it. It's so different than anything else I've been seeing for so long, you know? Very cool. I, I, I'll have to check it out. I don't know it. Yeah. Anyway, I'm excited. It's going to be a nice change for all of us, for our eyes <laughs> to see something different. Well, kind of reverting back to that 
hippie aesthetic, you know, as the country revolts against authority and oppression, the rise of the 90s hippie <laughs> nostalgia <laughs> has been returning at increasingly high velocity, especially during this pandemic. Amanda, did you know that the Grateful Dead has been low-key trending since like 2017? Uh, I mean, listen, I'm going to tell you, I've had a few jobs where one of the things I had to buy was graphic tees. Mm -hmm. And as much as I hate to say it, Grateful Dead always sells really well. <laughs> it, it surprised me. I mean, I've seen it. <laughs> But I wasn't paying attention to it until, you know, I started kind of doing some more research on this. You know, the millennials and Gen Z group who didn't get hit with that 90s iteration are finding it again. So this is kind of like hippie 3.0. So what does this mean? Um, Gen Z is getting into Days to Confused for the first time, mm -hmm. um, which inspired that whole movement in the late 90s when we all got to the, to the 70s. Remember? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. They're embracing tie-dye, bucket hats, and then a happy face. But now, as opposed to the 90s, we see mixing of genres and cultures, re references. So street style is actually taking that reference, and they're blurring the lines, which we never really saw, you know, back in the 90s. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the coolest, mo most influential brands right now are these graphic t-shirt brands. Um, online ceramics is considered one of the coolest. If you haven't already, check out their notoriously shitty e-commerce site. It was originally founded as kind of like a Grateful Dead t-shirt line. And then it just continued to grow and expand. And they add this, you know, graphic happy hippie co-op grocery element with lots of tie-dye. And this is where we get into the tie-dye. This website uh -huh. is amazing. They, like, they, put, <laughs> they put up their launches. They sell out immediately. Like They are like kind of one of the coolest kids on the block right now. They're based here in LA. Yeah. I know. The website is fantastic. I kind of want everything. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. So spring 2019, there was a lot of tie-dye and Grateful Dead references on the runway. The runway. R13 so did a whole Grateful Dead theme. We saw it with Perenza Schooler. James Purse did it. Um, so it kind of trickled into mainstream and fast fashion a little bit, you know, in like 2020, you know, like it, it went from spring 2019 to spring 2020 and it became extremely accessible now, um, but also selling out, particularly across fleece, fleece and knits, like all these tie dye things. So why is it selling out? Well, social media. Um, so influencers and celebrities and friends are all pictured wearing tie-dye, these tie-dye matching lounge sets. And at the height of the, t the pandemic, it just caused a ruckus. And anyone that did tie-dye immediately sold out. Um, immediately. Oh, immediately. Uh, anyone. Immediately. And no matter how ugly or terrible yeah. it was, it sold out. It sold. And interest in tie-dye loungewear is up. 5,000, 5,000 percent since last year. <laughs> so the volume of searches on Google began to spike in March and it's still trending on Google. Every single brand that you know, you open up any email, anyone, you go to any like new arrivals page, tie-dye, just all just knit tie-dye because that's the stuff that's selling. That's what people want. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Meanwhile, over on Pinterest, there's a lot yeah. of noise out there about DIY tie-dye. And it just kind of democratized the trend because it can actually be achieved on any budget. You can take anything that you have previously owned and tie-dye it. And it will look exactly like the stuff that you will buy 
on you know one of the more premium premium um mm-hmm, brands mm-hmm. it's also a really cool quarantine activity i mean i've seen people who in no way would ref- would live this hippie lifestyle on any level uh-huh. yeah. tie-dyeing on instagram <laughs> like it's blown my mind <laughs> yes it is it's one of the biggest trends and so people are kind of getting, getting created at home they're making their own versions they're buying it online Everyone's Instagram is just full of at-home pictures of people wearing tie-dye sweatsuits. So ultimately, you know, we haven't really seen this trend in a while, and it's really fun, and it's really colorful, and just like really resonates with people. It has that super nostalgic feeling from both the 70s and the 90s counterculture, and I do not see it going away for a while. I mean, next spring, we will likely be kind of in a very similar quiet space. Like, people will probably continue to wear their... They're tied. I, I mean, it might get more and more adventurous. You know, there, it might evolve into more like like Japanese techniques, like a shibori mm-hmm. or or something, or more color. Who knows? I mean, where do you think this tie dye trend is going? I have to tell you that. So you know, like I, I work as a buyer, and tie dye was one of those things that every year, every brand was like, like for the past three years, maybe every brand mm-hmm. has been like, "This is it. This is our big story." And every, <laughs> this is when it's gonna happen. Right. And everywhere I worked, we'd buy it, and it would flop. And pre quarantine, we were looking at reports, and we were like, "Okay, this is it. We're never buying tie dye again. Fucking over it. It does not perform. We got to cut our losses. Let's see what we can get out of." Then we all got trapped at home and suddenly everything was blown out. <laughs> like everybody yeah. wanted all the dye-dye all the time. I think that is so funny. So it's like uh-huh. hard for me to say when it's going to end, right? Because I know it's like everything is so up in the air. We have no idea what's going to happen next. We don't know what the timeline is. It's in everyone's closet. Everyone now owns it. It is. It is. I do think that when this is over and we all can go back to some semblance of normal life, whatever that means for us, we're going to see a complete 180 style-wise. I think that all of the tie-dye is going to go into the bottom drawer and it's going to be used when you have to do lawn lawn work. Painting. Yeah. 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 I do do think that's going to happen. People are just going to be like ready for a totally different look. So- Mm If this is all still going on in spring, then yes, I think tie-dye is going to be going strong. If we have seen some improvement, I think we're going to see a markedly different style coming forward. I just, but it's like, who can predict? We know it's going to change, but when? I mean, you know, but that 70s thing will continue to grow. And, you know, we might even see this tie-dye kind of coming out in less casual, you know, maybe it'll come out in those, you know, turtlenecks or... A dress or something. Who knows? I mean, turtlenecks are next, guys. Turtlenecks. Are you excited? <laughs> <laughs> well, the second part to this to this um, kind of happy hippie look is the smiley face, and you know, I don't know if there's anything more ubiquitously positive than the smiley face. You know, people have done research mm-hmm. on what that smiley face does, and if you're wearing a smiley face, it means that you're more open, friendly. You know, it just brings a lot of joy. Um, we as a culture right now are in that age where we're pretty much like submerged in happy faces and sad faces and, and kind of any sort of face now that we have emojis as a form of communication. But that traditional, original smiley face, you know, it has strong ties to the 80s and 90s as a counterculture, an iconic 
emblem. It was adapted by Nirvana, Dazed and Confused, that movie I just talked about. It was huge in the rave culture. And rave culture, you're going to see oh, rave culture is coming back. And you're seeing it here right with this like happy face. Right, right. I think, and I think this sits with Maude. It, yeah. For sure. Yeah. They're like, they're relatives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. During these turbulent times, there's kind of nothing more welcoming than that happy face. So it is everywhere. And if, you know, you literally cannot swing a dead cat without seeing tie-dye or happy face. It's true. It's true. Once again, places where I would never expect to see that, I'm seeing it right now. And any iteration of it, you know, and maybe, maybe maybe you've noticed it, but if you haven't, I promise you, you go on your Instagram feed and you will see it everywhere, just like tie-dye. And there's this other cool t-shirt brand called cactus well they do other stuff than just t-shirts but they do some t-shirts it's called cactus bag i'm sorry let me start say this again there's this other cool brand called cactus plant flea market and it's this they're starting to bring um these happy faces in this is kind of like a dover street market brand um there's optimistic lifestyle brand mad happy ghani bagu that amazing cap brand Jap- uh, Japanese brand Capital, mm-hmm. Drew House, which I don't know if you knew this, it's Justin Bieber's new mysterious line, has a picture of the happy face and replaces like the smile with the word true. That also coincidentally, Drew Barrymore likes everyone <laughs> on, on Instagram. That's true. Um, That's interesting. And in a very cool low market to high market twist, Louvet launched a collaboration in july with paula's abitha featuring the smiley and it's all in this like like 90s raver culture abitha like flashback and it's all in the spirit of letting go Mm -hmm. i like that and it's just yeah lots of smiley faces expensive smiley so there's this cool la based streetwear brand called chinatown market and their whole branding is around the smiley face their founder mike sherman was interviewed by high snobiety and if you don't know them they're a notorious sneakerhead blog uh <laughs> back in 2008 <laughs> um and he says kind of really exemplifies the zeitgeist of right now he says the use of the smiley face which of course it's licensed so he has to pay a lot of money to actually even get Used. Isn't that crazy that the smiley face is a license? Yeah, like that's that that specific smiley face is licensed. So you do so when you wanted to own it, you know, you definitely have to put a, a bit of a fortune into it. But what he says is that the use of the smiley face has brought a beacon of happiness in times that are dark in the world. A smiley face has been somewhat of a symbol for people to wear while the world is in chaos, where everything is in disarray. This interview was done in 2018. 2018. I mean, but you know what? Uh-huh. I will say this: 2018, there was bad, it was bad. stuff going on. It Remember, was bad. Trump, Trump was elected in 2016. Yeah. It feels like that was 100 years ago, right? So in 2018, we were like, "How much worse could it get?" It got worse, and like, no the, one needs yeah. it more. No one needs a, a smiley face more than they do need, need it now. It's true. It's true. And then kind of sliding up right alongside the happy face, uh, the yin-yang is also back. I had oh. a choker in the 90s with a yin-yang. So did I. I think we so probably all did. Got an urban outfitter. 
<laughs> mine had mine was on like a velvet like string of some sort. I think I, was leather. So you know, I grew up out in the sticks and in the early 90s shopping when you lived in a really rural area was terrible. Uh, and so there was never anything cool unless your parents drove you to the city. And my friend Shannon was in the same boat as me where her parents were going to drive her to the city to get cool clothes. So she signed up for this screen printing class at our high school just so she could make us both yin yang t-shirts. Oh my God. That is so amazing. We love them. We felt very cool. And then, you know, I work with my yin yang choker and you know, I think it's good to go maximalism with, with a yin yang, just wear it head to toe. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, you know, designers now are using that yin-yang to express very similarly to this like happy face thing, balance in an unbalanced mm -hmm. world. Um, you know, it was really popular in the 90s as well as the 70s. So that nostalgia of the, of the 90s and 70s, meanwhile, of course, the 80s is just like ignored, you know, is it's just it's so on point for that. I first personally started to see it with Paloma Wool, mm -hmm. who was kind of doing it in yeah. like sweaters and shoes and things. And it just has spread like wildfire. And you've seen it everywhere. You're seeing it, the, you know, the, those kind of cool Dover Street Market brands down to, um, you know, fast fashion brands. It's knits, shoes, handbags, jewelry, pillows. Gen Zs are loving it because they never really got it in the 90s, obviously. So, you know, I got to say, I love having it back. I think it's kind of still a cool thing. Um, I just hope that that trend of Chinese character tattoos oh, kind of stays, I know. stays away because like that kind of sidled right alongside with the yin yang where everyone had like a tattoo of the word love or peace. Well, you know what comes after that then? Ed Hardy. What? Oh. <laughs> See, we got to get it, guys. We got to slow oh. it down. I'm not ready for that. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep it cheap, yeah. you guys, not yeah. cheap. <laughs> <laughs> and then kind of following up with this, you know, heritage brands, particularly Vans, Champion, Converse, and Fila. Heritage brands have been trending for a few years now, and there's no slowing them down. Um, three swirling style trends have converged to create a Gen Z and millennial fashion craze. Logo apparel is huge, first of all. Second of all, throwback gear mm -hmm. has returned. And third of all, streetwear, that casual style derived from skateboard, which was always cool, and sport culture, is super trending. But with most everyone, especially in stay at home, like everyone, it doesn't matter who you are. When we talk about Fila being relevant again, it means Looney Tunes is too. I think we <laughs> need to true. understand that these two <laughs> travel together. <laughs> they do. You know I'm. You know I'm right. You're right. <laughs> They're hand in hand. So champion Converse fans feel, you know, they, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, the one thing that these brands all have in common is that not only do they hit the mark on our logo centric world, but they also invoke that extreme nostalgia. That's cool, fun, sporty, and accessible, like affordably accessible. Champion is one of my favorite mm -hmm. brands and it's actually, and has been a darling of the fashion community for years, just as a standalone brand. I remember back in the later aughts, I was in Paris on a buying trip and an appointment with Bernard Wilhelm. And Bernard was actually there at the appointment, which was absolutely a treat. And he was wearing a basic champion sweatshirt. So this is like 2007. Uh, and I asked him about it. You know, it wasn't really cool then. 
it was just kind of a classic. It was something that we just kind of knew as a classic, mm -hmm. but didn't really talk yeah. about. And he told me that he actually collects champion sweatshirts. They are his absolute favorite. He says that they're perfect. And that really stuck with me. And to this day, I actually always turn to champion for activewear. I have tons of it. So, you know, uh, you know, my you know, like yoga pants before yoga pants were a thing. I got tons of them. Um, all my sports bras have been champion. Um, mm -hmm. So let me remind you also that for a chunk of a few years from 2015 up until last year, champion has been doing these collabs with the likes of Vetma, Supreme, Off-White, Rick Owens, Woodwood, Bathing Ape. These are literally the biggest brands in fashion. Oh, Urban Outfitters. Of course, too. Urban Outfitters. Yes, all over the map. In like high market, low market, and international, appealing to literally everyone. But there was one thing that was certain. They all aligned with brands that were the most influential at the time and even now. Mm -hmm. But then something started happening. This was maybe back in 2018. Celebrities and influencers started just wearing Champion. No collab. And they, we're talking like big, big influencers. We're talking the Kardashians, the Rihannas, all the way back down to the micro influencers. So their direct sales and distribution have just been booming. And one of the coolest things about Champion is that they're just nostalgic, but they're mo most importantly, mm -hmm. they're really humble. I mean, go to their website. They aren't overachievers. They are the kings of fleas. And that's where they're staying. They haven't really cashed in on this fame and upgraded their own channel at all. They're unmazed and unflappable. Like literally just champions selling some sweatshirts and accessible athletic wear. Practically the same stuff they sold 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. The company is owned by Hanes. And I actually used to work in the same building in Midtown, New York as champions design team or part of their design team at least. And it was wow. the gross commercial part of the fashion district. <laughs> so it's really a very garmento yep. operation. So I don't really expect much more. But really looking at their site, I'm super curious because there are so many missed opportunities to really up their ante over there. Get a new fucking website. Bring in a cool creative agency of like Gen Z millennial lovers and showcase some of those cool accessible collabs. Do some color forward drops. Do something slightly more adventurous with your design. Like they really have a lot of opportunity to continue their amazing classic heritage, but actually be kind of cool on their mm -hmm. own channel. I'm like, I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, in the sneaker realm, Vans, Converse, Fila, pretty much any 90s brands that are, you know, available are having a heyday right now. Amanda, please tell me you haven't heard anything about Skechers because I'm sure they're coming back. <laughs> <laughs> it frightens me to think that because some other shoe brands came back this year that I was really shocked about, <laughs> like the Buffalo Sneakers. Yeah, Buffalo Sneakers. I haven't heard anything about Skechers. I have mixed feelings. Well, okay, I don't have mixed feelings personally about Skechers. I think they're very uncool. Even in the 90s, they were uncool. They were like, they always would copy what everyone else was doing, right? Well, you'd never see a skater or a rave kid wearing a sketcher. No, no. It was like the poor man's version. It was, it was. And I think that Skechers has kind of built a business off of copying other people's ideas. Like, I don't, you know, if you remember, I mean, well, you know Tom's. Tom's are still around. Yeah. Skechers made their own version of Tom's called Bob's. <laughs> 
shut they're still up. around Are yeah it's serious? basically it's almost identical in terms of the shoe and i think that there's a give back component bobs guys like they couldn't even bobs be bothered exact. and the other i want to remind you the other thing that sketchers has done in the in recent times as in in the century of note that I don't think was a knockoff, but were those shape up sneakers? Yes. Do you remember those? Yes. Oh my God. I remember those. I think Modern Family even like showcased them, the ones that have the curve and they're so lame. Yes. Yes. And they're supposed to do something for you it's, physically. Uh, it's supposed to tone your legs. Oh, good Lord. I can see uh, shape up sneakers coming back in 20 years or something because everybody's going to remember when their mom wore them. Maybe in 10 just years. Embarrassing. Yeah, it's embarrassing. Yeah. But I think that Skechers has really just, they were never cool and they just kept squandering any yeah. goodwill. They didn't ever have a heritage to go back they didn't. to because they never aligned with the cool counterculture. They, they would just copy Vans, copy Converse, you know, copy whatever was yeah. out there sneaker wise at that time. And then they copied Tom's. I don't think anyone will, will touch. Like, I don't think a Kardashian would touch I think that would Skechers. be really, really hard. Yeah, I, I don't see that happening. Well, for years, Vans and Converse have been appealing with their old school counterculture affiliations. I wore both of them in middle school and high school. I remember Converse having literally zero support. I could not believe that they were oh. ever athletic shoes. Dude, I know. I mean, I will every once in a while forget that and wear them to like a so show uncomfortable. or something. <laughs> terrible, terrible. I, Vans are cushy. Though. Yeah, like, Vans I, are cushy. Yeah, but Converse, I I mean, I've had so many pairs of Converse mm -hmm. in my life, and I don't understand why. Flat, just so flat. They just look so cool. They're yeah, terrible they're so cool. in the winter. Oh. They're terrible in the rain. Yeah. Like, just, they don't support your feet. No. They're terrible if you have a job where you're walking around a lot. I don't, but yet we keep buying them because yeah. they look cool, you know? And, you know, I mean, Converse became really popular again in the 90s. So did Vans. I think Vans was from the 80s. Is that right? Um, so, yeah. But in the 90s, like, they became real popular. And it was kind of like the countercultures kind of brought them back in in with their retroness. Um, and I think they might have gone a little out of favor in the aughts. But I know since the mid-20s, I Googled this on how to say the 2010s. Tees, I like that. Which I might, might forget. But they have been a Gen Z and millennial powerhouse. So I will say... Um... In the early aughts, I was working as a sales associate at Urban Outfitters, and two things we mm -hmm. sold like gangbusters all every all day every day were the checkered slip-on vans. None of the other vans, though, like not the any of yeah. the lace lace-up styles. Only like the the original skater yes. surfer. And then we also would sell like black or ivory low top Converse, not the high top Weird. one. Weird. And we would sell them like crazy. And then all of a sudden, nobody bought them anymore. They were, like, not appealing to anyone for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then they came back again. What years was that? I want to say 2002 to 2005. Every one of my friends was wearing them. There had kind of been this mm -hmm. rejection of, like, big sneaker. You know, like, like mm -hmm. I know sneaker heads brought back, like, dunks and all that stuff. So this is pre-dunks. <laughs> and <laughs> I, it was, like... Oh man, I feel like we have to make you say don't. Uh, I just can't say that word. I, I hate, I, yeah, one, it's a gross word, but I hate uh, this like culture of collecting sneakers because sneakers are so bad for the environment. Yeah, yeah. They really are. Yeah. In the early aughts, if you were remotely cool, you wouldn't be caught dead wearing a pair of like Nike or like mm -hmm. anything truly athletic. 
in terms of sneakers. And then all of a sudden dunks came out of nowhere and everybody was collecting them like crazy, right? Like the same people who had seen wearing Converse the year before. So there was a period then, but then when they were off, when they were like not relevant, nobody would wear them. Like you would be so uncool to wear a pair of like slip on Vans or a pair of Converse. Like now it's back again, which is great, but it's just funny how these cycles happen so fast. You know, it it was like the collaborations. So Vans and... Um, Converse, both were really big into collaborations. Even when I was at Nasty Gal, you know, I was the, the senior oh, shoe yeah. buyer. I was working on a collaboration with fans and Converse, or, you know, we were in talks that, you know, we ended up going bankrupt. So nothing. But anyway, they, you know, Vans and, and um, Converse both, you know, were really great with collaborations, which kind of just, you know, got them aligned with the right you know, the right new countercultures, the right, you know, um, aspirational influencers. And they just started taking off again. And, and they are now like, it's all, you know, Gen Z will wear besides, you know, you know, maybe the Nike dunks. The dunks. So I will say, I think something internally happened with Converse and Vance around that time when we were at mm-hmm. Nasty Gal, because in the previous years leading up, I mean, their business was terrible. I would, when I was buying sneakers at at Urban Outfitters, I would have these appointments with them that were just so depressing because they were like, here's a van with a pink skull print. And here we're doing some flannel converse. They were doing crazy prints and fabrications. And it was like, guys, no one wants this. No one wants Mm -hmm. this. You just got to stick to the classics. And it was just excruciating. And then somewhere along the line, they were like, wait. It is our classics that people love. Let's merge (laughs) those with like these collaborations because all the collaborations still embrace that like basic aspect of it. They weren't like, and Mm -hmm. then these have pink skulls all over them, which really (laughs) happened. They both both made versions of that. I think it was like something about the drops as well, because that was a really big in the sneaker culture to have those drops. For your dunks. editions. Your dunks. (laughs) Well, you know, Fila jumped on board and decided to cash in on that 90s resurgence and dad sneaker norm oh. for trend. It started to pick up speed in 2014 and started to morph into the ugly shoe trend of 2018. So um, they brought back their disruptor, which is actually was not their most popular style in the 90s. Mm-hmm. It was actually really popular, though, amongst the ravers in the 90s, which is why it kind of took off. And the Disruptor is kind of like a cross between the Nike Air Max and the Chunky Buffalo sneaker. They even mm-hmm. have one, Amanda, that is like a double-decker platform. And you see it, like, wow. the Gen Zers in the, in the UK are going wild for it. Like, the kids here in America are also going really crazy for it. Um, so it's like that nostalgia, hitting back to that rave culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what, mm-hmm. the, what Fila, but Fila is also kind of owning that 90s space. You know, there were some, um, is Fendi did like a collaboration with them where it was like this, this Fendi Fila mashup and stuff. So there definitely was, you know, there, there was some nostalgia for Fila as a brand that was kind of like non-existent that just started coming in and around, you know, like 2016, 17, 18, I have my eye on a couple of these filas. If you look on their website, you probably shouldn't, Amanda, because you're probably going to want some. They have really good colors and neons, and they're actually really cool looking. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of, you know, what was happening and what's happening right now in that nostalgia sneaker 
sure there's more that we're missing, but you know, I can't do everything in this. There is one last little part that I kind of wanted to add to the nostalgia that I noticed in, like in the past couple of days is that there's a couple like of these nostalgia picture, like photograph books being published right now that are kind of like photos from, from the nineties and photos from the seventies. There's one called, uh, from, I think it's Justina Curlin and she's celebrating her 20 year anniversary of this teenage runaway girl photo series called Girl Pictures that she saw in 1997 to 2002. So now it's published and you can get the book and it was originally just in, in galleries um, and it's all staged, but it depicts all these girls as rebellious and strong and adventurous. I'm sure they, they could be criticized for glamorizing runaway culture, but can I just send you, I'm gonna send you this really fun and really cool oh yeah i'm i'm familiar with her justine curlin girl girl pictures and she is definitely uh really well known in the industry for her photography work um so this was a series that she did you know over in the in the 90s and early aughts and the in the fashion the fashion's really cool it's very 70s yeah the fa- it's not cool it's just like what we wore then, you know, like in high school. Yeah, I, which I just love, 70s, 90s. So going to the 70s, there's this other book, and this is by this photographer named Andy Sweet. And he was actually murdered back in 1982. And he has been, he's known for being this really amazing Miami street photographer. And he did, originally, he did a book series called Shtetl in the Sun, and it's um, the South Beach, 1977 to 1980, featuring all South Beach's elderly Jewish community. And that's what he's kind of known for, which I'm just, this is not the book that actually got published, but this is so amazing that I kind of just wanted to, to send it to you. The fashion of these Jewish people. Oh my God. I've seen oh. this book. I saw this at the Wine and Rock Shop. So good. Yes, about that? yes. Like, yeah. Well, I looked at it for like half an hour. It's incredible. Everybody should look at this book. He's got a new book out and it's called um, Summer Camp 77. So it's Summer Camp 1977. Hello, Mada. Hello, Fada. Oh, I saw some of the there. I, I don't know. Maybe it was in New York Times Style Mag or something. Yeah, they had see. some photos from it. It's so rad. Yeah, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's this one picture of this girl wearing this T-shirt. I'm sending you just it's if you click in and go down. And she's wearing this T-shirt and it says sexy on it, and she's like a teen. <laughs> yes, I love it. No, I. Th- I knew that's what you were going to say. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, and she's got, she's got the converse on and this is all in the 1970s. I think that shirt's ripe for a comeback. It seems like something American apparel would have made. If they were still around. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's amazing. That shirt is not to be missed. Someone's going to knock it off really soon. Not to be missed. Exactly. We will definitely have it in our show notes. Promise you. And Shettel in the sun. Oh, it's so good. I mean, I'm sure someone has already done a, a whole theme uh, around Shtetl in the Sun in, in the fashion industry. But if they haven't, if they could do Shtetl in the Sun for this for their fall season and then um, Hello Mudda, Hello Fada, Sweet Summer Camp 1970 for summer, it would be crush. I would be so excited. Yes, yeah, Shtetl in the Sun is definitely a layering story. <laughs> It's so good. Plus, I have recently become really obsessed with 
Florida, specifically Miami, mm-hmm. in the like 50s through the 70s because there was just this mass exodus of people down there after World War II, like sort of like some people retiring, some people having this belief that it was better for their health, you know, yeah. and it was it was really cool and glamorous. Not what we think of when we think of Miami now yeah. as much. Well, there you go. So this is the nostalgia. <laughs> it was actually one of my favorite things to research. And I learned a lot. I spent so much time on it, just looking into things. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have nostalgic stories of your own to share or some other trends from our youth that you think are coming back, uh, hit us up at our email address. It's info at thedepartment.world. You can also find us on Instagram at underscore the underscore department. And please, please follow, like, leave a review if you can. It really helps us, you know, and, and we love to know what you're thinking as well. Oh, and lastly, all the stuff we talked about in this episode, don't worry if you missed it and didn't have a chance to write it down. It will all be on our website. Kim does a really amazing job of creating these very detailed notes about what we've discussed. Um, That's all. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.